Hello. Welcome to the Jackie Robinson episode of the Valley View podcast. This is episode 42, the answer to the life, the universe, and everything. And if we had an intro, we would cue it now, but we don't. So I'm Tyler. I'm here with Matt. Still no intro music. Yeah. Um, Emily, uh, Emily's got to get on that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Um, either way we go, people will be disappointed on both sides. That's true. Some people love the retro, no intro music uh, vibe. What I've so, noticed is that there's like two or three seconds of dead air when the podcast starts. Yeah. Because if, to, to bring you listeners behind the curtain, uh, when we record this podcast, we record it on Zoom and we're just speaking into my eight-year-old Dell laptop and I press record to start the recording. And when you press record, it says in an a, a annoying voice, it says recording in progress. And I don't start talking until after the recording in progress noise. So I think it gives us like two or three seconds of dead air. I think our listeners love that anticipation. Everyone's that two seconds they're waiting for the great hello. I think if I was in that situation, I would be wondering if it was playing correctly. <laughs> anyway, do we have a sponsor this week, Matt? We do. We do have a sponsor. Uh, our 42nd Valley View podcast episode is sponsored by Children's Tylenol. Do... Uh, do some children's medications frustrate you and leave you feeling unseen, uncared for, and desperate? Experience the children's Tylenol difference. Our packaging was lauded by focus groups for its attractive design and ease of access. Mm. The taste of our product has been compared favorably to honey and jelly beans. Wow. And the results speak for themselves. Kids feel better fast when they take children's Tylenol under adult supervision and in appropriate doses. Don't settle for the generic brand at your big box retailer. Insist on children's Tylenol. Use only as directed. Stop use immediately and see a doctor if symptoms get worse. Is Tylenol not a big box retail brand? Um, well, you know how, uh, like if you go to Walmart, they'll have the ty children's Tylenol or oh, Tylenol yeah. there and then right under it or above it, they'll have the Walmart Equate brand. Oh yeah. Like acetaminophen yeah. or ibuprofen instead of right. Tylenol or Advil. Exactly. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes yeah. sense. So I think children's Tylenol wants you to insist on their the name brand name yeah. instead of getting the, the Walmart version. Wow. Of course they do. Yeah. Naturally. Right. You can charge like six bucks when Walmart's only charging you three. Yeah. I mean. Thank you, Children's Tylenol, for sponsoring us. What does it say about our podcast that Children's Tylenol thought we were a good investment for their advertising dollars? We're giving kids headaches with our podcast. <laughs> Matt, you're back from Israel. I'm back. So, yeah. So yeah. For the listeners, post- it's like you never left. <laughs> That's true. This Listen. recording is post-Israel. Yeah, yeah we're, uh, we're back on schedule now. We're recording this on March 31st of 2022, and we're also releasing it today. We're going to record it and then put it up. Yeah, so back on regular schedule. Mm-hmm. How, uh, how was Israel? Well, I spent a good deal of time on the bus thinking about how I would answer that question. Mm-hmm. Because when you... The bus home from Israel. Yeah. When you go on a, a trip like this, you anticipate when you get back that people will ask that question. How was Israel? And as an so. introvert, that's terrifying, right? <laughs> no, well, you uh, you are not you are not that. Uh, uh, I don't know where I'm going. Just continue talking. Sorry. <laughs> it, that is a hard question. That's why I spent time thinking about it because um, 
one thing I really don't like is superficiality. Like mm. it doesn't feel right to me to just say it was awesome. Yeah. How like, was Israel? Oh, it was great. Yeah. How was Minnesota? Oh, it was great. Moving on. <laughs> so here's what I came up with. I have four adjectives <laughs> okay. that describe how was Israel. And have you said this to other people that have asked you? Or yes. is this okay? Yes, I have. Okay. Not everybody, but I have. So my trip to Israel was meaningful helpful, humbling, and good. Okay. Meaningful, helpful, humbling, and good. And I could, I won't take the time to like spell out what I mean by each of those. Okay. But um, upon reflection, I just thought if, if you can take any kind of trip and at the end of the trip, say my trip was meaningful, helpful, humbling, and good, then you've had a pretty good trip. Interesting. So my follow-up question is um, how it, so if I, if you said, you said this to other people. So if I walked up to you at church and said, Hey Matt, how was Israel? You would say, Oh, I'm glad you asked. It was meaningful, helpful, humbling, and good. Like, is that, is that how I should be envisioning you talking about Israel? Um, yes, but I think, uh, because I'm like a, a, a real person who lives in a real world, I think I'm also going to be prepared to say like, and the place that I found myself really enjoying the most was the garden of Gethsemane. Nice. And I'm not just making that up. Like sure. that really was the place that I connected most with. Um, so I, I think that's what most people are probably looking for. Like sure. a detail like that, like sure. what was meaningful. And um, Molly and I talked about this a little bit, but I think the reason that, and we actually, we both connected with the garden of Gethsemane the most mm. out of all the places we saw. And we were talking about why that might be. And I think a big reason for that is that it's the one place that looks like you've always thought it would look. Oh, okay. Um, in the, in your mind, when you've always pictured that place, since you were growing up and hearing stories about Jesus in the garden you go there today and it's like, yeah, this is kind of what I've always expected it to look like, which sure. you really can't say about most other places. Right. Like the, the, the garden tomb, um, Nazareth, mm. Bethlehem, you know, nothing looks like it looked back when Jesus was there. Sure. Right. Except the garden of Gethsemane. Nice. And so I think that's why it has a probably, a special hold on your heart because you almost feel like, um, yeah, I know this place. Nice. Yeah. How's the food? That's a, it's a long conversation. I, it was a buffet for every meal. That's so if, amazing. If, if you're someone that likes buffets, you probably love it. If you're someone who would rather order off a menu, it probably wasn't your favorite. Gotcha. Cool. Yeah. Cool. yeah. And uh, we, we did survive here without you. It was uh, very sad and we almost didn't make it, but we, we made it till your return. I, I think you did more than survive. I think you probably thrived. I mean, well, <laughs> and you preached on Sunday. Tyler preached preach. on Sunday. I did preach. Um, just give our listeners a couple words about how you felt in the 60 seconds after you were done. What, what uh, adjectives would you use to describe? Relieved and more relieved <laughs> to be done. Oh, and I noticed I, I was relieved and then I got back to my spot and it was kind of funny. Okay, this might not be funny to anyone listening or you, but I'm going to share it anyways. So my parents and siblings came to watch me and 
my parents and siblings, along with some other extended family and friends of family that were there, filled up the entire like second row of the sanctuary. And so Emily, my wife, was on worship team, and then I was preaching. So when Emily was on worship team, I was stand, I was sitting in a seat or standing in a seat. <laughs> Okay. And then when okay, so I went up to preach, here. Emily went down and took my seat. And I was so concerned while I was preaching. And like, before I went up, I was like, where am I going to sit when I finish this? Because Emily's in the seat that I was sitting in, but I forgot that we do a last song. So when I was praying, she got back out of my seat and came up and started to play again. And I was able to go, like, we were net, we, Emily and Tyler shared a seat and we were never sitting in it at the same time. It was just very interesting how the order of order of worship went that on Sunday. And <laughs> I did appreciate that story and I found it funny. It was, it was kind of funny. Yeah. And, but I thought of that story because when I went to sit down, you asked me how I felt in the 60 seconds after I was relieved. And then I got back to my spot and I was like, why is there so much stuff in my spot? <laughs> because Emily and I have very different, um, like we're just, we, we're just different. Like when I am going to leave, I get up, I put on my clothes, I brush my teeth and I leave. That sounds I pretty Take a shower. Okay. Um, Emily has a lot more steps and, and Emily is usually carrying a lot more with her. Mm. Um, so when, when I was sitting in my spot, I had the bulletin and Your Bible. nothing else. No, my Bible's already up there. And then when I finished preaching, I got back to my seat and there was a sweatshirt on my seat. There was like a lunchbox. So there was a water bottle. There was a bag. Like there, a, there was just so much on my seat. And I was like, what is all this doing here? Oh yes. My wife. And I put it off and then I stood for the last song. Let me ask you, did you, did you uh, sweep it off with like one swift motion of your forearm that you just swept everything off the seat? Yeah, or did, you, did you pick up individual things and set I, them down? I burned with righteous anger and cleared it like the temple. <laughs> now, um, I didn't think it would be very becoming of me as having just finished a sermon to walk down and just start yelling at the seat that I was supposed to sit in. So no, I, I tried to take it off nicely, but quickly because I wanted to stand and sing the song <laughs> so none of that was uh none of that was what we were planning on doing what uh i have a couple listener questions let's go to listener questions so these listener questions are both from uh listener karis um very excited to go into these uh sometimes when karis has a question sophie gets honorable mention but i'm not sure if sophie had a hand in these so okay. we'll give karis full credit this week so we're going to do listener questions and then we are going to do a little summary of First Corinthians today, first Corinthians, right? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. let's hear the questions. So there's two of them. Uh, here's the first. One of them is, it's fun, because one of them is kind of kind of lighthearted, and then one of them is a little bit more serious. Um, Reflects the nature of the podcast. Yeah, naturally. So we'll do the more lighthearted one first. Matt Brandt, growing up, what was your most embarrassing phase? Ooh. <sighs> My most embarrassing phase. Um, well, can I go with what I'm most embarrassed by now or yeah. should it be like what was most embarrassing at the time? I think it's like looking back is looking the back. of the question. Okay. So as you yeah. at 43 years mm -hmm. old, look, mm -hmm. reflect upon your life, what phase growing up was the most embarrassing? Okay. I would say um, when I was like sixth and seventh grade, I was really mean to my twin sisters. Hmm. And that is the thing that embarrasses me most now was that um, I was a name caller and very insensitive, not loving. And I'm really ashamed by that. Hmm. And also I, I kind of, uh, I had braces 
and I couldn't figure out what to do with my hair. Hmm. So I looked bad, looked dumb, and was also an ugly person on the inside. Nice. So put all that together, and that's that's embarrassing. More of an embarrassing phase. Yeah, and probably the worst part is that um, I wasn't really embarrassed by it at the time when I should have been. Mm, okay. <laughs> that's funny. because so <laughs> Combine all that with lack of self-awareness and lack of shame, and uh, that's bad. That was a bad couple of years. Did she ask the same question of you? Well, yeah, it's for both of us to answer. <laughs> oh, okay. It's, okay. it's funny because you, you say looking back, it's embarrassing because you had all that and you weren't self-aware. Uh-huh. And it's hard for me because I had an embarrassing, I, I would say that I had an embarrassing personality, but my phases don't really embarrass me. And maybe, maybe they should. So I have to answer this question as like, what, what somebody would have thought was my most embarrassing phase of which I have two. Okay. So, so I think a lot of people would say that my most embarrassing phase was when every single day from third grade through eighth grade, I wore a football Jersey to school <laughs> every day and not even just to school every day from third grade to eighth grade, I wore a football Jersey. I believe that's been noted on the podcast yeah. previously. I remember that. Which I'm not embarrassed by, but I guess some people would be. Mm-hmm. Um, the second one is, um, so upcoming for to, to date this podcast farther. I mean, I literally said what date we're recording it. But in a little over a week, the youth group will be going on our spring retreat. Um, and we're going to this really fun uh, youth conference in Duluth. I went to that as a student. And every year in high school, when I went to that retreat, I wore the same outfit to every one of the like rallies and it was a neon shirt, neon shorts, the brightest shoes I could find and one knee high red sock and one knee high blue sock. Wow. Was the, the neon shirt and the neon shorts, the same neon color. Yeah, they matched. They did. So you're like one. I'm a highlighter. You're a highlighter, highlighter. like neon green shirt and shorts red sock blue sock i consider it yellow but yes neon when you're thinking neon that's the right color do you remember what was going through your mind when you dressed yourself that way oh i just thought it was funny you did it because you thought it was funny yeah i thought it was fun and funny to do that Uh and did you say you did that every year you wore the same thing every year ninth tenth eleventh and twelfth grade all my high school years same clothes fit through that whole time i was a cross-country runner i was i was pretty skinny wow yeah and um it was funny because during my senior year I actually realized that I was kind of aging out of it because my freshman, sophomore and junior years, I, so I've always been like, you can tell by how fast I talk. I've always been like hyperactive, like not really ADHD, but just like, I'm, I like doing stuff. I like moving. So ninth, 10th and 11th grade, I was wearing that and I was always moving. And I didn't even really think about the fact, like I was wearing the highlighter stuff and I thought it was funny and I didn't really think more about it, but my senior year, I had kind of chilled out a little bit. And so I was wearing the neon and I just, I remember specifically on like Saturday afternoon, I was wearing the neon, uh, after like waiting for one of the waiting front of the like meetings to start. And I looked and I saw some like middle schoolers or early high schoolers, like running around and being crazy. And I like looked at them and I was like, Oh, that doesn't look that fun. And I looked down at myself and I was like, (laughs) what am I doing? Why am I wearing this? I don't deserve to wear this anymore. I'm not crazy enough anymore. (laughs) But I, I will always remember that. I was like, man, this really fit me well when I was like running around and jumping and being insane. But mm-hmm. as a senior, just kind of sitting and hanging out with my friends, it doesn't really fit. <laughs> <clears throat> that, 
That is great. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that really embarrassing episode. Um, and if you've got a picture somewhere, I'd love to see it sometime. Oh, I could try to find one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I said, I'm not really embarrassed of that. It just is like, it, it is, it would qualify as an embarrassing face. Yeah. We'll let, we'll let our listeners decide uh, yeah. how embarrassed you should be about that. It's true. Uh, here's the second question. This one's a little more serious. Um, how has the Bible influenced your choices? And specifically, it, it says big and little. So in the little things of your life, how does the Bible influence you? And then maybe when you're thinking through big decisions, how does the Bible influence that? Mm. Is it the same, different? Mm. What are your thoughts? Well, that's a really good question, Karis. Um, thank you for the thought that you put into that question. I'm going to give an answer that uh, may not be totally satisfying, but I think this is as honest as I can be. And it will also speak a little bit to the way that I view spending time in the Bible. Um, I really do view my time with the Bible and in the Bible as um, almost like being put on a, a wood lathe where you are shaped continually by what you're um, reading and experiencing and being molded into a different kind of person um, by the time that you spend there, taking in the nourishment of the Bible, even maybe I'd use the word like soaking in it um, as a daily habit and spending so much time in it. It just, uh, you know, Paul writes, let the word of, of Christ or the word of God dwell in you richly. Mm -hmm. Um. I think the Bible has just shaped me and shaped me and shaped me over the last 20 years into a different person than I was before. And that, I think that's a product of uh, the time spent in the Bible and the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in my life. And that has had the consequence of affecting my choices and almost to a degree that I don't even know if I could draw lines and say, this is exactly how it's worked. It's just made me a different person who makes choices that I didn't make before. Um, maybe about what I say to people and what I don't say, um, how long I'm willing to listen to people, um, what I prioritize when I'm spending time with another person, what my reactions are, um, my tone of voice, um, I think it's all very mysterious, and I think all I can say is that um, that's what happens to you, and that's the intended effect of being in the Word of God, that it changes you, right. and there's some mystery involved, I think, yeah. so that was a big pile of stuff that um, without a lot to set your feet firmly on as far as an answer goes, so I'm going to punt to to mystery and being shaped by the word of God. Is that okay? Sure. I mean, Did I can, you, do you understand? I am, Is that understandable? Yeah. I mean, I'll give a similar answer in maybe just a different words. I don't know. Like when I think about how the Bible influences my decision-making, mm -hmm. I don't really think of it as like, I need to make a decision now. So let me bring in the Bible to help me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What I want is for the Bible to be so ingrained in the way that I think that I'm making decisions. And as I'm making decisions, like the Bible is reflected in them, like the, the teaching of the Bible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So 
and and similar to what you're saying that it's like an ongoing process like it, it I almost don't notice that my mind is again the fan we've talked about the fancy term of sanctification before becoming more like Jesus on the podcast but I I sometimes don't notice I'm being sanctified until I reflect where like I'll sort of I mean I guess an analogy could be the the highlighter story that I did not realize that I was growing up and kind of like mellowing out until I reflected in my senior year upon myself in the years before like sometimes I don't reflect I I don't realize that I'm being sanctified and that my decisions are changing or hopefully like becoming more like Christ decisions until I go through a situation and I reflect on how I handled something similarly beforehand so I, I guess what we're both saying is that it's not like a I'm, I need to make this decision. So let me use Jesus on this big decision or, mm-hmm. or I have this small decision and I want to involve the Bible even in this. So let me try to bring my brain towards the Bible for this. Like yeah. a, a, we're kind of viewing it more as like, we want our decisions to be so influenced by the Bible that it, it, our thoughts become Jesus's, like Jesus's thoughts become our thoughts yeah. more accurately. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it. <clears throat> um, I'll, I'll say something at the risk of uh, people maybe misunderstanding what I'm trying to say. I'll, I'll say it anyway. I, I think, um, I think our the individual decisions we make are not as critical as we think they are. Mm. Um, when God regards the critical thing as um, Christ-like, Christ-likeness, and. I'll give you an example to illustrate what I'm trying to say. Um, There's a lot of different professions that our kids could choose. Like Mm -hmm. talk about Molly and I's children. Yeah. Not yours and my children. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Our family, our, our four kids, we don't so much care like what they decide to take an interest in and pursue as a a career. Mm -hmm. Um, We want them to be happy and fulfilled and reflect Christ um, and have joy in whatever they choose. Right. And that since that's how we feel as parents, I think that that we have a legitimate reason to to say that's probably how God looks at us as his children, that um, maybe we don't need to agonize over decisions as much as we do sometimes as far as finding the thing that we think is the will of God. Right. We know that the will of God is our sanctification. Right. And (laughs) And the will of God is that we bear the image of his son. Sure. Um, I know that that has practical outworkings and some decisions that we make, but I'm I'm, I'm stating it as a um, making kind of a universal claim in order to make really a smaller point that the important thing is Christ likeness. Right. And that's, I guess, to bounce that out, like, that's not to say that God doesn't care about your decisions, you right. know, like it, every decision you make, like God knows it and God cares about it. Mm-hmm. But to then take that knowledge that God knows and cares about your decisions and be so terrified that you're going to then make the wrong one. Yeah. yeah, God's primarily primarily focused on your sanctification, yes. not on what kind of toothpaste you use. And thank you for that clarification and to kind of head off some of that misunderstanding that might take place. Sure. Um, so anyway, great, great questions. You want, to talk Thanks, about, you want to talk about First Corinthians for like six and a half minutes? Love to talk about First Corinthians. Probably good this one's shorter because I don't know as much about First Corinthians <laughs> as I do about some of the other ones we've talked about. Here's what I know about First Corinthians. Um, they've got problems all over the place 
and so I'm going to name a few of their pro the problems they're having. So keep in mind that when we say First Corinthians, we mean like Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, maybe, <laughs> right? The first one that's in the yeah, in the, the first the one that we have in the Bible, first one that we have in the Bible, right? We know that there is another letter to the Corinthians that we don't have, right? We just we don't have it. The the most recent speculation <clears throat> I heard is that. First and second Corinthians in our Bible are likely the second and fourth letters to the Corinthians. Oh, the second and fourth. Okay. But yeah. Again, I'm not as well versed in Corinthians, but continue. Sorry. Um, the thing that stands out as you get into the book is that, wow, this church has a lot of problems. Yeah. And we'll talk about why that might be good in a second. But here are some of the problems that they have. Just listen to this list of things that they're dealing with. They're, they are divided over their preferred leader. Mm -hmm. That's chapter three. Right. They've got half the church or a portion of the church likes Paul and half likes Apollos. And, you know, they can't agree on that. That's chapter three. In chapters five and six, we learn that they're handling sin inappropriately. Mm -hmm. And it's really pretty intense levels of sin. Yes. Yeah. Major levels of sin. Um, we learn um, also in chapters five and six that they are mistaken regarding what are appropriate sexual. Um, I'm sorry, this is chapter seven. They're, they're mistaken regarding what appropriate sexual relationships look like in marriage. Mm -hmm. So they've kind of, they bought into some stoic philosophies from the Greeks that Paul's having to correct. They have some mm -hmm. mistaken notions about the sexual relationship in marriage. In chapters eight, so that's chapter three, chapter five, chapter six, chapters, chapter seven. In chapters eight and nine, we learn that they are not thinking about their own rights correctly. And Paul has to correct them on that. Um, we learn in chapter 11 that they're not handling the Lord's Supper correctly. They're, mm -hmm. they're getting that wrong in some pretty major ways. Um, in chapter 12, we learn that they're looking at spiritual gifts incorrectly, yeah. thinking about those in the wrong way. And in chapter 15, we learn that they're in danger of believing the wrong things about the resurrection, mm -hmm. um, the resurrection of Christ and their own physical resurrection. Mm -hmm. So it's like now we, so we've gone from chapter three all the way through chapter 15, almost nonstop with problem, 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 yeah. problem. The, I heard somebody joke about the, the, like first Corinthians once. And it was really funny because if you listen to that, it's not like even consecutive chapters. It's like a chapter and then another chapter a couple later and then a couple chapters later and somebody summarized corinthians first corinthians as paul is like alternating chapter by chapter between wow look at this amazing reconciliation and salvation that we all get to share in as members of christ's body like that's one chapter and the next chapter is like can you stop with the sexual immorality like can, like can, can you just 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 stop doing these terrible things that even the pagans aren't doing and then the next chapter is wow, it's so amazing that we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's such a beautiful thing. We're saved. We're treasure in jars of clay. That's second Corinthians. And then the next chapter is again, like, but seriously, what are you doing? Like, it, He's, he's just all over the place in this book because he's, he's so on fire for the gospel and is so happy that it's that these mm -hmm. Corinthians are saved. But he also is like, get with the picture guys. Like you're saved, but, but look at all this stuff that you're still doing. It'd be really interesting if we were able to get inside of Paul's head somehow and see what kind of a structure, like, did he do that kind of a structure on purpose? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, he sits down to write, he knows he's got all these issues to address. Yeah. Okay. Well, how am I going to address all these issues? Am I going to 
lay them out there all at once or am I going to intersperse some hope and like some encouragement? Yeah. You know, um, would have been interesting to see what his plan was for laying that out. But here's one, here's one thing we can take away from reading about this church with all kinds of problems, especially in the last couple of years. It's, you know, the church has had a few problems to mm-hmm. work through, right? Um, the church has really taken uh, a beating from, from a lot of places in, as far as how the church has responded to the things going on in the world. And that can be, um, that can be hard um, to, you know, have the church face that kind of scrutiny and that um, just feel like beat up all the time. You're not doing this right. You're not doing this right. It can be really easy to get really down on the church. But when we look at first Corinthians, um, two things are helpful. Number one, we realize that the church has always had problems, you Mm -hmm. know, even from the earliest days when Paul was writing. The second thing is they had some pretty major problems like regarding the Lord's supper Mm -hmm. and regarding the resurrection. And by and large, we don't have those problems, Mm -hmm. right? We we're getting the Lord's supper, right? Most of the time in most ways. And our theology of the resurrection, even if we don't spend enough time on it, um, is a solid theology of the resurrection. So mm-hmm. we're not getting some of these major things wrong that, that they were getting wrong. And part of the reason we might be on the right track with these things is that they went before us and messed it up and we got scripture <laughs> yeah. correcting it. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, exactly. like God, God used these people messing up such core doctrines to teach generations of Christians the right way. Yeah, exactly. Really cool of God to do that. (laughs) Yeah. And as you know, that happened a lot with the councils that took place in, um, you know, the centuries following the writing of the Bible, where Mm -hmm. like Nicaea and Constantinople and um, the other conferences uh, were called the correct Mm -hmm. um, aberrant theology that had to be corrected. And so because mistakes were made, um, true teaching got explained and we benefit from that. Uh, can I finish this podcast by reading probably I, I say that a lot of scripture is my favorite, but like, this is like really far up there. Like if, if I need script, like if I need scripture to bring tears to my eyes, this is usually where I go. Can please, we finish with it? Please do. All right. It's first Corinthians 15 verses one through, I mean, I could literally do all of chapter 15, but it's like 55 verses. So I'll, I'll plan on doing one through eight, but I might end up doing one through 11. So this is uh this is Paul. This is about the resurrection. This is the gospel says, now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. Now, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you have believed.